ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمد عبده ورسوله يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به وارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان استق كلام كلام الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر امور محدثاتها وكل محدث بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلال في النار I begin by the praises of Allah and I praise him and I give him and I praise him and I ask his aid and I ask forgiveness from Allah and I seek refuge in Allah from the wickedness of our souls and the evil consequences of our actions whoever Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala guides none can send astray and whoever he sends astray none can guide and I bear witness that there is no god except for Allah who is the only one worthy of worship, who is alone without partner. And I bear witness that Muhammad, peace be upon him, is his slave and his messenger. O you who believe, fear Allah as he should be feared, and do not die except that you are Muslims. And O mankind, fear Allah, who has created you from one soul, and created from its soul its mate, and spread from you many men and women. And fear Allah as by that which you ask of the wombs and the rights of those who bore you, and know that Allah is ever watchful over you. O oh, you who believe, fear Allah, and say a good word, Allah will correct your actions <coughs> and forgive you your sins. And whoever obeys Allah and His Messenger, then verily He is the successful one. And the best speech is the speech of Allah, Tabarak wa Ta'ala. And the best guidance is the guidance of the, of the Prophet, وسلم, peace be upon him. And the worst of affairs are the innovative affairs. And all innovative affairs are going astray and all everything going astray is ending up into the hellfire. I begin this speech today about the <coughs> tribulations that, bef- that befall a Muslim which is the natural consequences of the reality of our existence and how to solve and how to, uh, how to protect ourselves from those and find a way away from these tribulations and overcome the trials that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, trialed, has, has betrayed the mankind. Of course, <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us for a purpose. And this purpose we have to realize. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that we has not created the jinn and the in, and the, 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 the jinn and the ins, the, the mankind, nor the jinn, except that they should worship Him. So they have a purpose in life. And this is actually a great ni'mah that we who are Muslims and we who have come to the masjid to make and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with at least knowing this purpose. When you look at many of the people, they do not know this purpose and they do not know the purpose of their life. So this is indeed a great blessing. And I also begin the speech with the uh, wasiyah or the, the, uh, the legacy which was left by all the prophets when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَقَدْ وَصَيْنَا لَذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمُ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ وَإِيَّاكُمْ أَنَ اتَّقُوا اللَّهِ and I have, and the people who were before you, they all gave the legacy, uh, and the people who were given the kitab to fear Allah. And verily, the fearing of Allah is the most complete of the messages, because anyone who has the fear of Allah, that begins for him to seek how to get closer to Allah, and how to stay away from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and how to seek the way to become close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And this is in the very beginning part of the book, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, Alaf Lam Meem Min which means that uh, the, the letters, the, the, the alif and the lamb and the meem, and verily this is the book which has no doubt in it, and it is a guidance for those who fear God. Verily, it is not a guidance for anyone who does not fear God. Those who do not fear God, they will not get any benefit from reading the Qur'an, because they do not have that beginning of the, uh, of the fear of Allah. And verily, only those <coughs> who... Uh, uh, the only those who fear Allah, in another sense, inma yasha Allah bin abadihi al ulama, that verily only those who, uh, who will fear Allah are the ones who have knowledge. So this is a contingent one upon the other, where the people who seek to have the knowledge are the ones who actually make the efforts to go and seek. Just as you have to make an effort to go and worship Allah by going out and, and standing and cleaning yourself and making the wudu even when it's cold or very hot or early in the morning or late at night, and then you have to make the effort. But similarly, to make the effort to gain the knowledge, to learn to increase the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, <coughs> the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving us a trial, and the fact that we will have many tribulations, this is the fact of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He has created mankind to try them. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in His book, uh, which means that do you think or do you have the idea that Allah Taala will leave you to say I believe and he will not give you a trials and tribulations Verily, He has given the trials and these tribulations to those who were before you. And verily, He will know the ones who are truthful, and He will distinguish them from the ones who are untruthful. Uh, so, verily, brothers and sisters, the idea of having the fitna attack us, or the fitna, or us befalling the fitna, this is a reality which we cannot escape. And this is something which is going to happen, and everyone, in a sense, is a trial and a tribulation to to uh, to uh, everyone else, as Allah has said, uh, And this is the reality that a rich man, for instance, is a trial and a tribulation for a poor man, and a handsome man is a trial and a tribulation for a an ugly man, and an ugly man is a trial and a tribulation for a handsome man, and a and a, and a rich man is a, 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 a trial and tribulation, so forth and so forth. And as Allah as the, the Prophet had said that in a I have not left a, a trial harder on men than women. And so men and women also are uh, a, tri- a trial and a tribulation one to the other. How is this? That are they going to act as Allah has ordered them? Because the verse which I had mentioned earlier, that Allah has not created mankind nor the jinn except that they should, be, that they, that, that they should worship Allah, the main meaning of this, uh, this verse is that, uh, that He may order them to do what is right and forbid them to do what is wrong. Of course, the, that is for their own good, and it is for their own protection to stay away, or stay away from that which is wrong, and to proceed to that which is good. And this is the purpose that Allah Taala wants to perfect mankind and bring him into the perfection which He has created him for. <coughs> uh, the the fact that Allah Taala has actually tried all people, even the uh, even the Anbiya, and even the people who He has sent, 
as the prophet said that really the people who have the most difficult trials and tribulations are the are the are the prophets and then, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the people who are closest to the prophets a, a tribulation and trial which is similar to the to the prophets if it is not so severe, severe in degree and as the condition or the strength of someone's religion Allah gives him the trials and tribulations in com- commensurate to the strength of his religion if he is weaker he will give her, give her a less degree of trials and tribulations and if he is stronger he will make them more difficult and this is in order to increase his, his closest to Allah because if someone is tested and tried and then after the testing and tries he comes out and he is successful he becomes stronger just as you know from those who play sports or those who would raise uh, a, a horse for instance to become a racehorse or something like that that by trying and trying by giving him lots of trials and lots of exercises he would grow stronger and stronger and also a tree that is growing uh, and as it is growing if it's getting, getting a lot of wind and a lot of uh, a lot of external uh, elements upon it it grows to be stronger rather than the one which is kept in a small case and, and protected in a very being too protected and this is also as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said about Dawood alayhi salam the, the, the prophet when he said that was when he had done a certain act and, he sent, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the people to, to, to give him a trial and tribulation not that I want to go into the specific uh, issue right now and actually every ummah of the Ummah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created, it has had special tribulations and trials for them. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about the Qawm Salih, that their special tribulation was the Naqa, was the camel, the special camel, the miraculous camel that he sent, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ مُرْسَلُوا نَاقَ فِئْنَةٍ لَهُمْ فَارْتَقَبْهُمْ وَاسْتَبَرُ that verily I am sending this, uh, this camel to them as a trial and as a tribulation. So watch over them and see what is going to happen. In other words, and be patient. He is saying this to the, uh, to the Nabi Allah Salih. And this is in a sense a special tribulation to that people. And there is also the general tribulation which is for all people as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned. كُلُّ نَفْسٌ دَائِقَ الْمَوْتِ وَنَبْلُوكُمْ بِشَرُّ وَخَيْرِ فِتْنَةِ وَعَلَيْنَا تُرْجَعُونَ Which means that everyone is going to taste death. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala t- tries and tests people by goodness and evilness or, or, or things which are khair uh, and sharr, which is a relative issue, uh, something which you may perceive as good and bad. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are all going to go back to Allah. Of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He only creates that which is good. Uh, he only does that which is good. But He creates certain things in this life which may have uh, consequences by the actual disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those consequences create uh, situations which are evil like the fact that he has created the Iblis and the Iblis is the one who has disobeyed Allah and the Kuffar and they are the ones who disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all of the evil that it befalls actually is all the cause from the disobedience of Allah because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered them to worship him and ordered them to do, be, to, to do right but the consequences of their evilness 
uh, is the cause of the evil net which befalls upon one of another one of us. As we said in the khutbah, or the original khutbah which I mentioned when I started my speech, that we seek refuge from the evilness of our souls and the, and the terrible consequences of our deeds. Because actually our deeds sometimes have consequences which cause fitna to other brothers and sisters. Uh, the main way to get out of the fitna or to get out of the consequences these evil consequences is all as I said in the relation to the uh, taqwa to have the taqwa is the, major, is, is the way and that's why the, I do taqwa fitnatin the idea to, to, to fear the, the fitna which does not only attack uh, uh, some of you specifically in other words it, it, it attacks all of you and so we have to fear this fitna which, is, uh, uh, which, which can attack anyone from the consequences of, the, of our evil deeds and the prophet has mentioned in the hadith he said As-Sa'id liman junab al-fitn wa qaluhu thalathan wa qala liman abtulia wa sabr which means that the person who will have success and happiness in this life is the one who does not have the trials and temptations that are too difficult for him or the ones that, that, that does have those trials and temptations and yet he is patient and he, uh, he, 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 uh, he holds those tests and he is patient within those tests. <coughs> There's also something to be mentioned and that is that the worst kind of fitna, of course, is the fitna of the shirk. The shirk is the worst fitna that there is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book, وَقَاطُلُوهُمْ حَتَّ لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةً وَيَكُونَ الدِّينُ لِلَّهِ And in another verse, وَقَاطُلُوهُمْ حَتَّ لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةً وَلْيَكُونَ الدِّينَ كُلُّ لِلَّهِ وَيَكُونَ الدِّينَ كُلُّهُ لِلَّهِ And in these two verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned that fight the disbelievers until there is no more trial and tribulation and until the religion is for Allah and in another verse until a religion is for Allah completely and totally the idea of enter into Islam totally in other words to obey Allah in all of the rules that he has ordered you to do not just the ones that happen to uh, be uh, what you like to do but also the ones that you may find difficult to do and that is the actual the, the essence of the fitna if you're doing something which you already like to do then that is not a trial it is only to do those things which you are, have find difficult to do or the finds that you find to, that are a trial upon your soul and on your body and on your mind and these are the things that actually are the uh, trials and tribulations and as the ulama have said that the fitna in this verse means the shirk specifically the fitna mentioned when it says to fight the kufar until there is no more fitna is, means that until there is no more shirk and there is no more disbelief uh, <coughs> there's also the idea of uh, the two angels who were sent down and they gave the fitna uh, of teaching the people certain uh, arts as, and, of this, and, and Suleiman and the Jews of course said that, that Suleiman was the one who was taught the, uh, the sihr or the magic art of black magic but as, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions وَمَا يُعَلِّمَانِ مِنْ أَحَدٍ حَتَّى يَقُولَا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ فِتْنَةً فَلَا تَكْفُرْ That verily, they did not teach anything. They did not teach any piece of knowledge. But they said to that person, verily, we are just a trial, so do not disbelieve. 
And this is the idea that the fitna that they taught was the specific art which led to the art of the black magic. And this is one of the verses which the ulama mentioned, that this proves that anyone who does any kind of art of black magic, it, it, it is an act of kufr in and of itself. It does not mean that he has to say that if he declares it to be a halal, then it becomes an act of kufr. But in and of itself, if he does an act of that, it is an act of kufr. <coughs> there, <coughs> the Prophet Al-Hamd he has given us many many advices to stay away from those fitnas which cause our a defect in our religion and uh, a, a, which would make us fail in uh, overcoming the uh, the trial and the tribulation, and there's m- many kinds of fitna. Some of them are general, and they and they and they actually apply to all people and all mankind. Like the verse of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, because verily a person who has money and he has children or a wife then of course he has to act accordingly and put that money into the place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered him to put it. Just like he has to, to, uh, to earn the money in the manner that he has been ordered to, to, uh, to earn it. So this is the trial in that money. And in his children also, he has to have the responsibility to raise them and to uh, give them the education that they need such that they will become awlad salih and the righteous children. If he is negligent in his duties, then that is a trial on him and it has become a source of, uh, of, of, of him earning lots of the displeasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then there is also the kinds of fitna or the kinds of, of, uh, of trials and tribulations which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, which, and his prophet have mentioned specifically about this ummah and of those is he has mentioned the fact that this ummah will, will, will break into different groups and sects and this is something that some people say that you know, many people say well how can this happen if, if, you know, how come we have all these sects why does it become so difficult for us to realize which one group is, is, is more closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this is the trial that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the, uh, has, has decreed upon this ummah and this is the trial that the Prophet has given us specific warnings about. So it's something that we should learn about and, and try to uh, overcome the best we can. As the, as the Prophet mentioned in the hadith where he said uh, that, the, that, the, that the Jews have broken into, into uh, 71 sects and the Christians have broken into 72 sects, and my ummah will break into 73 sects. All of them are astray, except for uh, in the hellfire, except for one of them. And when I was asked which group is that, he says he mentioned the ones that is the jama'ah, or the one that is the group of Muslims, which meaning the ones that are holding on to the book and to the Sunnah of the Prophet. And in another specific narration of that hadith, he mentions that which I am upon today, and my and my and my followers. And my and my uh, my Sahaba. There's a verse in the Quran where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Qul huwa qada ala an yibat alaykum adabin min fawqukum, aw min tahta arjulukum, aw talbas, aw 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 yalbasakum shi'an, fiyaduqa baadukum baqsad baad. Undur kif nusarf al ayat laallakum yafkahun, laallahum yafkahun." Which this was narrated 
and it is narrated by uh, Bukhari that when this verse was revealed and it says which means excuse me which means that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to send upon you from above your heads a punishment or from below your feet a punishment or to able for you to to taste the violence of some of you upon the others and look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he explains his his, uh, his 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 signs to you such that you, you may understand such that you might have understanding in religion and the Prophet ﷺ related and read this verse and he mentioned that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, said that verily he is able to send a punishment to, to, to you from above your heads the Prophet said A'udhu Billah in which I seek refuge in Allah from that like, like he did to the people of uh, of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah when he sent the uh, the terrible punishment from the sky, or as the verse says, or from under your feet, which means that in the, in the prophet also says, Billah, I seek refuge in Allah from having this kind of punishment, which means like the idea of having a great uh, uh, being swallowed up by, by the earth or something from underneath us. And then when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, what uh, or that he will have you become groups and sects and such that you may taste the violence of some of you to the other the prophet said this is a this is a least kind of adab this is a least kind of adab and so this is why the prophet in another hadith he said he asked his he asked his uh, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that please do not destroy my ummah by a, 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 by a, a huge uh, natural disaster like a flood or 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 by a, uh, a a pestilence which will destroy all of their sustenance and he also asked them that uh, that that uh, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered that, that prayer of his. But when he asked them to allow them not to raise the sword one of another and not to taste the violence of one or another, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not accept that, that, uh, that uh, uh, supplication which he asked them. So it is now understood that the reality is that the ummah is going to have the trials and tribulations of breaking up into different groups and in different sects. And the Prophet uh, has given us this specific reality that we should realize there's another longer hadith which mentioned which is an important hadith in this context where the prophet said that i won't read it in arabic but i'll just translate it where he said that verily uh allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's related in the muslim and uh, and others where he mentioned that verily allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown for me the west part of the land and the east part of the land and he has shown me that my, the kingdom of my of my nation is going to reach and fulfill those lands and he has also given me the great treasures which are the white treasure and the red treasure and they will be spent in the way of Allah and I asked my Lord that he would not destroy my, uh, my, my, my ummah or my nation by a pestilence or that he would not destroy them uh, and that he would not destroy them by the enemy coming in and conquering all of them and he has answered that but then he also and that uh, and, and Allah SWT answered him in these two prayers but when he asked them that they would not uh, and, and excuse me and he also asked that even if they were to try to, to, to all of them conquer 
all of the Muslims at one time, that they would not be able to do that. Because Allah has answered that, that they will not have the kuffar come and destroy all of the Muslims. But then the Prophet mentioned that the most fearful thing that I fear upon you is the fact that there will be imams or leaders among you who will lead you astray. And I, I, I give you the testimony that there will be groups of you who will go and be part of the mushrikeen. They will go and become, tri- some tribes of you will go and, and become part uh, and go and live with the, the mushrikeen. <coughs> and verily there will be at least 30 people who will, who, will, who will all of them claim to be prophets and have, and have revelation that will be uh, to them specifically. <coughs> and then the prophet, after mentioning all of these things which one would think are very tri- terrible kinds of fitna, then he also gives the, the, the glad tidings that there will always, there will not cease to be a group of my ummah who will be on the truth and it will not, and it will not harm them those who, those who, who, uh, who abandon them, nor those who have differences with them, until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's order and His command comes for their sa- for, uh, meaning for their salvation. This hadith <coughs> is also giving the idea that, the, that it is the reality that, a, that the Prophet has mentioned, that there will be these tribulations, and there will be certain of the people of the Muslims who will be misled. And this is the reality that we cannot deny <coughs> There's also specific ummah. Each ummah also, the Prophet mentioned, had certain specific uh, trials. For instance, the Prophet said that the first fitna of the people uh, of Bani Israel was in their women. And also, as he mentioned, and as I mentioned previously, the Prophet said that uh, he has not left a certain trial and tribulation which is more difficult for men than women. But there's also that the ummah as a specific ummah also has a trial and tribulation. And the Prophet has mentioned in a specific ummah, a specific wording, that verily the tribulation of my ummah, fitna to ummati al-mal, that the trial of my ummah will be money. When we look at the history of the Muslims, we realize that often at the time of Bani Umayyah, and the time of Bani Abbas, and the time of the various uh, kingdoms and, and dynasties that came up and grew, that often it was not the fact that they became weak uh, in anything, but that they had too much money, and the too much money flood, flooded upon them, and they became negligent in their duties to Allah, because they used to take that money and use it in the way that earned Allah's anger. And then they started to fight among each other to have more money and more status and similar and so forth, until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that that dynasty has reached its time, and they, another dynasty came and wiped out that first dynasty. And this is the history of the ummah. And it is uh, uh, something the Prophet had mentioned when he mentioned this hadith. And in another hadith, he mentioned specifically, مَا أَخْشَعَ عَلَيْكُمْ الْفَقْرِ وَلَكَنْ أَخْشَعَ عَلَيْكُمْ التَّكَاثِرِ وَمَا أَخْشَعَ عَلَيْكُمْ الْخَطَأِ وَلَكَنْ أَخْشَعَ عَلَيْكُمْ التَّعَمَّدِ And in another hadith, أَتَّقَ الشُّحْفِ فَإِنَّ الشُّحْ أَحْحَكْ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلُكُمْ حَمْرُكُمْ عَلَىٰ إِنْ Muslim, which means that I, am not, I do not fear for you that you will be poor, but I fear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you plenty of sustenance. And I do not fear that you will make mistakes, but I fear that you will do, uh, that you will do things intentionally, you know, doing sins intentionally. <laughs> and, and another hadith, he says, be scared of, uh, of the shuh, which is the desire to have 
more uh, wealth. Because verily, this desire is that which destroyed those who were before you. It, 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 it made them to go and, slot and kill one another, and it made for them to take that which Allah has made haram, and to declare it to be halal. This is truly the reality, if we look around in this ummah, this is truly some of the realities that we face today, as we have been facing for the centuries of the weaknesses of the Muslims. Uh, also, in a more specific hadith, the, which is related by Bukhari, it's, he, the Prophet says that there will be people of my ummah who will declare it to be legal that they will do fornication and they will wear uh, they will wear uh, thai, uh, silk, excuse me, they will wear silk and they will drink the, uh, the intoxicants and they will uh, use musical instruments and then in this hadith truly is one of the realities that we see when we see in the Muslim world that the fact that one of the signs of the last days is the fact that there will be lots of fornication and, 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 and sexual promiscuity. And there will be, and we, as we know, the musical instruments are widely spread and people uh, are often wearing the silk. And just today I was informed that most ties that people wear are made out of silk and it's very hard to even find a, a silk tie and I didn't even realize that. And I didn't realize that that is one of the signs of, the, of this uh, being, being, uh, being allowed. And many people say that it is allowed to wear these kinds of things. And then of course the idea of, uh, of liquor and music as we see is very, very prevalent. <coughs> uh, these, all these fitna are some of the things that, Allah, that the Prophet has specifically mentioned. And of course, it's not easy to listen and hear these and, and, to, and to know about these because these are the, fitna, are the kinds of trials and tribulations that we live day and night. And this is the specific trial of the, of the, that is going to come in the, uh, uh, at the time of the last days. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned in another hadith, بَادِرُ الْأَعْمَالِ فِتْنًا كَالْكَتَعَ الْلَيْلَ مُظْلَمْ يُسْبَحَ الرَّجْلَ مُؤْمِنًا وَيُمْسِي كَافَرًا وَيُمْسِي مُؤْمِنًا وَيُسْبِحَ كَافَرًا يُبِيعَ دِينُهُ بَعَرَضٌ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا which means that go and do good deeds as fast as you can and as much as you can before the trials and tribulations come upon you like nightfall comes upon, the dark nightfall comes upon you and a person will wake up as a believer but then when he dies he will die as a disbeliever and he will, he will, he will go into the evening as a believer and then he will wake up in the morning as a disbeliever and he will sell his religion for a little piece of the dunya, a little piece of this world. And this is the, 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 what, what the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned specifically to let us be terribly fearful of these, tribula these tribulations and trials which he has promised us and told us that we will have them. In another longer hadith, the Prophet ﷺ has spoke to the Ansar specifically not only does he speak to our ummah sometimes specifically, but he might talk to a specific group of the ummah specifically. And so he said to the, uh, he said, Ya Mashal al-Muhajirin, in a long hadith, that I'll, I'll, I won't uh, explain it all in Arabic, where he says that, verily, <coughs> there, are, there are five things that if you see and you are trial upon, that I seek refuge that you will see them and be tried, and be tried upon them. That, and then he said that there has never been that a people have done had sexual 
promiscuity happen among them, but that until they actually do it openly, except that they have sicknesses and diseases that which their parents and their, pre- their preceding generations did not know about, and that it never happened that they did not give the proper weights and measures in their business affairs, except that they were taken with, uh, and they had the trials and tribulations uh, in an economic sphere, and they did not have enough sustenance, and that they did not ever have the tyranny of the government upon them. Excuse me, and except when they did that, when they and they did not give the proper uh, business uh, weights and measures, and they also had the the governors and rulers upon them were were tyrannical, and they did not stop giving their zakat, and they will not stop and, and not pay, and, and not pay the zakat, except that the sky will uh, will not give the water in which it gives normally, and that they will not ever have, they will not ever cut the promise that they have made to Allah and His Messenger, except they will have the enemies from outside of them, in other words, the non-Muslims, who will come and they will conquer over them. And verily, they will never have that their leaders will not rule by that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed, and they will not try to do the best of that which Allah has revealed, except that they will have uh, warfare among them. And this is the also another more specific uh, reality that we that we see. And these all of these things that are mentioned in this in this hadith are actually things that have befallen uh, 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 at least some of the people of our ummah. There's also another hadith which mentions the reality that we face also, and which says that that it may come soon that the the non-Muslims will conquer you and attack you just the way a, a, a uh, just the way uh, an an animal would attack its prey, and 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 so the the Sahaba were, were sort of you know and they will come all of them like a pack of wolves in a sense. He was giving the the, the implication that it will come like a pack of wolves to pounce on the prey. And so the Prophet will say, "Is it because we are of such a few amount of people?" So the Prophet answered that, no, you will be, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you will be many, but you will be like of little consequence. You will have very little consequences. And that is because, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take the respect away from the kuffar, that you will not have respect in their eyes, and that you will have the fear in your hearts. And then, and then the Prophet asked, and how will we have the fear in our hearts, and we will allow the kuffar to overcome us and attack us? And so he answered, it is because you have the love of this dunya and because you hate to die. Of course, this being the uh, one form of the fitna, that the more someone loves the dunya, then the, more, then the more he hates to die. And the more he hates to die, the more he comes to love the, the dunya. And if he loves and he hates to die, then he will not stand up and fight and defend his religion. And he will not stand up and do that which he, he is ordered to do into enjoying the right and forbidding the God. And that is when the people will lose respect for them, when they know that these people have no moral stance. <coughs> Actually, there's many other uh, statements of the Prophet mentioning the specific fitna and then also the specific fitna of the hereafter, or excuse me, of the time when it comes close to the time of the, uh, of the Sa'a. One of these hadiths I think is important to mention 
before I get on, and maybe some brothers are saying that I'm taking a long time explaining that the fitna, let's get to the khuruj of the fitna, but anyways, uh, the, the outcome or how to get away from the fitna. But there's a few more hadith and, 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 and information that I want to pass along, inshallah. One of them is that one day the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned the fitna, and he mentioned many different kinds of the fitna. And, and then he mentioned the fitna which is going to happen among the ummah, which is going to make them run away one from another. In other words, this fitna is going to be a, a, a civil war and a riot among the Muslims. It's going to make them run away from one from another. And, and then he mentioned... He, he mentioned uh, another form of fitna which is going to uh, which is going to happen which is going to be related to a person of his family then he remen- he mentioned another and that person he 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 claims that he is of me where he is not of me and then he mentioned uh, other forms of fitna which uh, and then at the end he and he mentioned one form of fitna which it will not be but that every one of this ummah is going to get slapped by that fitna is going to feel some of the pain of that fitna in other words and then when you and then that is the fitna where someone is going to wake up as a believer but by the time he comes to the evening he will become a disbeliever and he will and then then the prophet said and then the people will come and become two camps one camp is a camp that is a camp of iman without any kufr in it. It is a camp of belief and it does not have kufr in it. Or excuse me, nifaq. It does not have hypocrisy in it. And the other camp will be the camp of hypocrisy and it will not have nifaq in it. Fustatan, fustan nifaq la iman fi, wa fustan nifaq la iman fi. And this is a sahih hadith that has uh, Abu Dawood and declared uh, sahih by many ulama. This is the reality that we see in a sense nowadays when we see that inshallah ta'ala it's becoming more and more clear that certain people have a desire to please Allah and they seek and they, and they, and they submit to the trials and tribulations that they, will, that they must undergo in order to believe uh, in Allah and seek His pleasure. Whereas there are many people who they have no care about whether they eat is halal or eat is haram, whether they fulfill their duties to Allah in their prayer and in their giving of the of, of, of the poor do in similar situations. And this is the reality that the Prophet has has mentioned. And another hadith mentioned by Imam Ahmed, <coughs> he said that before the coming of the day of judgment, there will be general tribulation. Fitna, but this fitna specifically means killing one another. And then he mentioned, I do not mean the killing of or the fighting between you and the mushrikeen, but rather I mean the fitna where you fight one among another and kill one among another. And <clears throat> until the point where someone would kill his own brother and his own uncle, <clears throat> and so the Sahaba were very surprised and they said that. How could, this, how could this be? Do they have their brains with them? Do they have their intelligence? And so the Prophet said that that day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in those days, Allah will take the brains or take the intelligence away from, for some people and that He will leave the people to be like dust that float and do not have any sustenance of, of themselves. And they will think that they are on something, but they actually are not on anything. Uh, this is... I mean, uh, these, all these, these instances are showing us the fitna, which definitely is a terrible fitna that we have to be prepared for. That if someone thinks he's doing something straight, 
and he's doing something strong, but he has no, no basis. And this is like the basis of, of people thinking that fighting for a, for a fact of nationalism or sectarianism or racism. And we look around the world, these are the most people that are fighting for, these, uh, for all these kinds of forms. The fact that sometimes they fight and they do not know why they are fighting. And they're being killed and they do not know why they are being killed or why they are trying to kill someone else. And that truly is this form, uh, one of the forms that the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned here. And that's only the, the, the only way out of that, of course, is to come into Islam, which, 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 keeps the, which someone uh, keeps in front of him, in, in front of his eyes, the fact that he has to worship Allah, and the fact that this ummah is one ummah, and it only has the, the, the worshiping of Allah and the following of the Prophet in front of its uh, intention at all times. <coughs> Ibn Mas'ud has also mentioned the, the trials and tribulations and he mentioned one thing that is of importance to, to mention here. He said that how is it that you, someday it may be that you will wear trials and tribulations the way you, that you wear a piece of cloth and to the point that a, someone who will grow old into this tribulation and the young person will grow old in this, in this tribulation and the young person will, be, will grow up within this tribulation. And the people will think that these things are the sunnah. They will think that these forms of innovations that the old man is growing old upon and the young person is being raised upon, they actually are forms of the sunnah. And that if you leave anything, the people will say that you have left the sunnah and you have gone away from the sunnah. And, and, uh, and, that, and, and, then he, uh, and then he mentions that in those days, there will, not, there will be very few people of the ulama. And there will be very many people who read the Quran in good voice. And there will be very, and there will be, uh, and there will be, uh, there will be very few people that actually understand the Quran, is, is what he's trying to say. And then he said that verily many people will do deeds only for the sake of this life and they will, they will seek the knowledge of the religion but they will not seek it with intention of fulfilling that knowledge but for seeking the pleasures of this life and the pleasures of this dunya. <coughs> and this is another mentioning of a specific kind of trials and tribulations which we find and we see the realities and we face those realities among us. The, the, there's many other forms of fitna or trials and tribulations that we can mention, but I think this suffices. One of the other ones is the fitna of the Dajjal. And the Prophet ﷺ said in, in Hadith that there is no trial and tribulation which is worse than the trial and tribulation of the great Masih Dajjal or the Antichrist. And verily he said that there, from the time of Noah to the time of my time, every, every one of the messengers, they, they, they warned their nations and their ummas about this fitna. And then he said that verily I'm going to tell you something that no other Nabi ever said. And verily know that your Lord is one and know that your Lord is not blind and know that the, the jaw is blind and he is blind in one eye and know that you will not see your Lord until you die and similar and more other kinds of, uh, of information that he gave specific information and indeed in one small sitting like this I cannot talk 
enough and, and give enough of the information where uh, Allah in the book of Allah or the Prophet uh, peace be upon him has mentioned all the different kinds of trials and tribulations which are going to happen to us generally as humans or specifically as Muslims or uh, uh, specifically even more specifically those who are trying to find the right path and stay away from the various sects and people who have divided their religion into sects but nevertheless we do realize one thing that if we want to succeed in this life and if we want to have a way away from the fitting then of course we have to hold on to uh, the worship of Allah alone and I can even say we, can, we need three kinds of Tawheed and this is mentioned by some of the ulama where they use that we all sometimes know the word of Tawheed Allah the worshipping of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by himself I'm going to use some examples from what Imam Malik the famous uh, Imam of Medina he said when he said that verily the, the last part of this ummah will not be saved except by that which the first part of this ummah was saved. In other words, that the thing which rectified the first part of this ummah, which are the people, the, the, the Sahaba, that th- those things that rectified them are the same things which will rectify the people that come at the end part of the ummah. And as the first thing, of course, is that they have to have tawheed. And the tawheed means meaning to make something one. And so if we use this word Tawheed, we can realize that we need three kinds of Tawheed. The first kind of Tawheed is the Tawheed of worshipping only Allah. The second kind of Tawheed is the Tawheed of following the Prophet ﷺ. To make our following and our, 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 our intense following to following the Prophet ﷺ. The third thing is the Tawheed Safuf al-Muslimin. To, to, to gather the Muslims into, one, into, into lines of obedient followers. And where they are under one leadership and one form of obedience. This uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has mentioned that He has sent into every nation of, uh, He has sent among every nation a messenger with one message, and that is to worship Allah alone and to stay away from the evil false worship. And then He has also mentioned this in, uh, and as everyone knows, that there can never be a group who can claim that they have come to rectify the, uh, this ummah and, uh, and return them to the way of their religion, except that they fulfill this very first condition, that they worship only Allah and they stay away from all forms of false worship and all forms of ta'awud. When we mention the idea of ta'awud, the Prophet ﷺ said, ta'awud, which means to stay away from or to make a distance between ta'awud. And this is, a, this is a significant thing. If someone was to sell to me to, 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 to not to drink this, then of course if I didn't drink it, I could still be very, very close to it, but I'm not drinking it. But if he says to stay away from it, it means that I have to put a distance between me and that thing. So when Allah SWT said, then it had, it means to stay away from ta'agut and put a distance between you. And this is very significant because any, the ta'agut is any kind of false worship. 
And that false worship can take different forms. It can take the form of idol worship. It can take the form of following someone who should not be followed and following him instead of Allah and instead of the Prophet. And it also can be the idea of judging from other that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed in his book and revealed in the sunnah of the Prophet as it says in the one verse about the people who claim to believe in Allah and they claim to believe in the book of Allah where it says that they go and they seek the judgments of the of, of the person who is the Taghut, when they have been ordered to disbelieve in him and disassociate with him, in other words, to put a distance between him and them. So this fact of the Tawheed and of staying away, uh, the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and staying away from the, uh, the all forms of shirk, however small and however big, this is the first criteria and the first condition for anyone who wants to stay away from the trials and tribulations the general trial and tribulations which will afflict him, and then the specific trials and tribulations that the Prophet ﷺ mentions which will afflict this ummah specifically. And <coughs> Imam Malik has another saying one time, which is very important. There are some people that if when we talk about this word Tawheed, they, they sometimes get angry. You know, why are you always talking about Tawheed? Why don't you sometimes talk about other points about fiqh and about sirah and about other things? And why are you always constantly talking about this thing of Tawheed? The Prophet, uh, Imam Malik, who is the Imam of, uh, of Medina, he has an important statement in this regard, and, uh, where he said that, he said, مَحَالَ أَنْ يَظُنُ بِالنَّبِيِّ إِنَّهُ عَلَّمْ أُمَّتُهُ الْاسْتِنْجَاءِ وَلَمْ يُعَلَّمُهُمَ التَّوْحِيدِ That it is impossible that the people could think that the Prophet would tell them all of the details of how to make istanja, how to cleanse, cleanse themselves, from the filth of the human filth at the time of going to the bathroom but he would not teach them the details of the Tawheed and this is the reality the Prophet ﷺ has, has said in another hadith that verily riba, riba the, uh, giving, the, uh, giving uh, interest is 70 different doors and the shirk is like that and shirk is also like that in other words there are many types of shirk just like there's many types of ta'ghut. So someone has to realize that this, 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 uh, these affairs of ta'wheed are, 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 are indeed uh, detailed. Just like the way when we have to make the istinja, when we have to, have to make the tahara, when we have to make the salat, they also have a certain kind of sequence and a certain kind of details to them. And they all are something that, some, that people should be concerned about and to continue to study. As I said, just in one short speech, someone cannot talk about all these things. But I can give you this idea for you to go back and study on your own with the ulama and the, and the students of, of knowledge who exist uh, in, your, in, your, in, your, in whichever communities that, that you are, are from. <coughs> uh, and Imam Malik, of course, when he mentioned this, he mentioned this in, in, in regard to some specific kind of innovators that, that, that existed in his time. Because he is the one who, there is the famous statement, the famous happening where someone came to him and into his, uh, his, his lesson. And the, he asked Imam Malik that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala arsh, that he has risen or become above his arsh. And, and how did that happen? 
And so Imam Malik sat and he was quiet for a while. And as the narration says, then the sweat started to pour from his head. And then he said that verily that the uh, that the istawa or the the fact that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has risen over his arch is a known thing. And the the way he did it is not known to us. And the and that it's not uh, it's not able to know this kafiyah or this or this way of of. Uh, of how this happened. And verily, we have to believe that he is raised up. But the asking about this is a form of innovation. And get this man out of my circle because he's trying to cause fitna and cause dissension among the Muslims. And so the idea that he was saying that the facts of the Tawheed and the Tawheed of Allah, the fact that Allah SWT is to be worshipped by his attributes and by his characteristics and that we should praise him by these things and worship him as he should be worshipped, that these things are known and they should not be uh, delved into in the sense that someone should not ask how, 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 he should not ask the things which is not possible or not, or is not uh, possible for mankind to know, which is to know the details of Allah subhanahu wa traits and majesty. the second kind of tawheed that I, that I mentioned is called tawheed al-mutaba'at al-rasul or the making the following of the Prophet one. And this is very important because the reality is that the only person who cannot make a mistake is the Prophet and so, and that his news which he gives is all correct news. His orders that he give are all correct orders. The judgments that he judged upon are all just judgments. Who can say that of anyone after him? Even the, the Khulafa al-Rashidin, it could be that they could make a mistake. And sometimes if they made a mistake, they even rectified their own mistake and realized it. And it is true that no one is, is, is infallible except for the Prophet ﷺ. And so this is the reason why any group that wants to stay away from the trials and tribulations, they have to make specifically that their imam is the Prophet ﷺ. If there's a school of, 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 of thought or a school of like the imams, like the four imams of Abu Hanifa and uh, Imam Malik and Imam uh, Shafi and Imam Ahmed, then it must be known that all of these imams, they never said to follow me exclusively. No one ever said this statement. And no one ever said to follow me blindly without knowing my, uh, my, uh, my proof of the saying that I said. Of course, the majority in all these imams, if we take the majority, uh, that they all agreed in the basics of the religion and in many even of the, of the uh, details of our religion, of furu'ah. But there are certain issues that, of course, they did differ upon, as we all know. But none of them said to follow me uh, blindly. And this was a thing which is well known, as Abu Hanifa said, that if anyone does not know from that where I have taken my, uh, my proof, then I do not allow him to, give, uh, to, to, to pass my knowledge on to anyone else. In other words, you have to know how I have arrived at, at what I have arrived at. And, all of the, and then the other imam said, if the, if the hadith is correct, and it is shown that this is a correct hadith, and it differs from my, from my saying, and take my saying and throw it against the wall and break it, and take the hadith that has come. And Imam Malik also has an important statement in this regard, where, <coughs> where he said one time, he said that, verily, everyone, he pointed to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, and he said that, verily, everyone is saying, you can take it or you can disregard it. 
except for the person who is in this grave and he pointed to the grave of the Prophet in other words that his his saying is something that everyone has to take and it is something that if everyone does take it then that is the factor which will bring the the, the Muslim Ummah to have a unity and it is something that will make their religion to, uh, to make them to go away from the trials and tribulations that they may, uh, that may attack them and may harm them the third thing of course is as I said <coughs> the Tawheed Al-Ummah or Tawheed Sufuf Al-Muslimin which is the making the ranks of the Muslims as one now this actually in a sense is very is in a sense the more the most difficult because if we have just said that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that there will be differences and there will be sects that will grow up and there will be people who will divide their religion but this is the decree of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala in the, in what he has created in what he has decreed in uh, upon this upon this ummah but that does not mean, mean that he has ordered that he has ordered us to become one he has ordered us to, to, to seek to hold on to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is the Quran and to, and to seek to hold fast to the, to the Prophet's to the Prophet's way and the Prophet's sunnah and as he says that verily this ummah is one ummah and so you should fear me and you should fear me alone of course and as he says that verily all of the believers they are brothers so if so that you so you seek to rectify anything, any kind of problems that happen between them and you fear Allah that you may have mercy upon you. So anyone who is even a believer, if he is a believer and he believes in Allah and he believes in the two conditions which have preceded, in other words, he is seeking to worship Allah and he is seeking to uh, follow the Prophet which means, of course, that he is not doing some form of, uh, of, of, uh, of associating a partner with Allah, some form of shirk, nor is he making a certain imam or his leader to precede the Prophet. Because as the Prophet said, that he said that the, the main thing that he, scared, that he is scared about is that the people will take leaders who will mislead them. So if a person is consciously seeking to take as his leader, the Prophet ﷺ, then he is the mu'min which we have to associate. He may have sins and defects, but, and we try to, uh, to, to, to rectify those defects, just like we would try to rectify the defects in ourselves, and in our family, and in our neighbors. But nevertheless, as it says, that verily all of the believers are brothers, and so rectify between your brothers, and seek <coughs> and... Uh, and fear Allah so that you will have the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This, <coughs> there is a, a saying of the uh, Imam uh, Malik also in this regard. And uh, this is the actual, this, this fact of seeking to rectify be- between the Muslims is one of the most praiseworthy things. And actually if we look around and we know that there are many different groups who are doing, uh, who uh, you know, have uh, dissension among them, then one of the best uh, deeds that a person can do is to seek to rectify between them. The Prophet ﷺ had mentioned his son uh, Hassan, 
and he put him on his uh, when he was a small boy, and he said that uh, verily that my son is a leader, and it may be that he will rectify between two great groups of Muslims. And this is the truth where Hassan anhu saw that there was a great conflict among the Ummah, but he wanted to save the blood of the Ummah, so he rectified between those two uh, uh, groups of Muslims. <coughs> and Imam Malik, we go back to Imam Malik also for a third time, and we mention one thing which is a uh, historical uh, reality, and that is one time when the one of the Khulafa came to to Medina, and then he and then Imam Malik went with him to <coughs> the Hajj, and it is related that because Imam Malik had written his book Al Muwatta which is the book which is the basis of the fiqh of the, of the Malakiyah, which, which includes many of the hadiths which Imam Malik had related, and many of the sayings of the Sahaba, and also certain points of his ijtihad, or his independent uh, judgments about certain issues, that the Khalifa wanted to take that book and hang it from the Kaaba, and force the people of the Ummah to follow this, this book. But he, the Imam Malik was very, very wise. And he said that, do not do that. Because verily, he realized that as a muhaddith and as a faqih, he was of a limited nature. That he did not contain, that his book, this muatta, does not, does not have the status that it should be hung on the Kaaba. If the, this narration is true. And that verily, that... The, that 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 the Sahaba of the of the Prophet peace be of, uh, peace be upon him and may Allah be pleased with them that they went to many different towns of in many different places of the of the Muslim world and each one carried different aspects of the knowledge and some of them went to, to the west and some of them went to the east and Imam Malik did not know all of the knowledge of all of them so Imam Malik was saying that the idea is that as long as they agree upon the most important issues which are the issues of the worshipping of Allah sincerely and the following of the Prophet with, with sincerity that the details as long as they seek to be together and to be brothers that they will be able to solve those things so please do not do these things it will cause a dissension among the Muslims and this is why we always say that anyone any group that has uh, any group, any one group that wants to have as its uh, as its uh, premonition or as its uh, its purpose to seek to rectify the ummah, then of course they have to have these three issues, the primary issues of their uh, of their existence. The first is that they have the tawhid of Allah and they seek to worship Allah and they seek in the details actually, to stay away from all forms of, uh, of associating partners with Allah, and, and, and uh, they stay away from the Tawud. And similarly, they follow the, 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 the way of the Prophet Wasallam, and they make, him, they make his leadership to be one leader. And in that sense, that means that whenever anyone orders them to do something which they know to be other than, uh, than that which Allah and the Prophet had ordered, then they do not obey that person. No matter what kind of trials and tribulations he may cause them, they realize that that person is himself is the kind of ta'ghut that will uh, and the, uh, in, the, in the form of evil and, uh, which, which tempts him. And they also uh, 
along with that, they seek to make the the uh, the ummah to be unified. They seek to correct any kind of of uh, any kind of tribulations that happen among the brothers, which cause them to have dissension among them, and they seek to truly be the brothers one to another, such that they would have to in their brothership to worship Allah and to worship and to follow the Prophet. And uh, I'll close now, even though I wanted to continue and mention uh, that we have a chain of authority in Islam. That after we have the Tawheed of Allah and the Tawheed of the, of the following of the Prophet, and that we know that we want to have the, the, our lines together. But as we all know, if we do not have a chain of authority, a direct chain of authority, which is very, very exact, we cannot have this unity. And so that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made that the followers have to obey their leaders and the women have to obey their husbands and the children have to obey their parents and so forth and so on. And has given many, many details about this chain of command because as it is said that there is no unity without the chain of com- without ta'a, without obedience. And there is no obedience without imara, which is the, to have someone placed as an emir. And this may, maybe will be another discussion. Uh, as the brother said, we nothing formal now, but open floor for anyone to ask any questions. And in my limited abilities and knowledge, I'll try to uh, answer them as I can. One brother had asked a question about: Are there actually thirty uh, people who have claimed to be uh, prophets? Yeah, as the prophet had mentioned, that there will be thirty dajjalin. Uh, <coughs> and the word dajjal, actually, what, that was mentioned in the hadith it means someone who plays a trick with the people in other words he's a person who <coughs> misleads the people so not necessarily it would be the person who claims to be a prophet someone claiming to be a prophet there were many of them and probably they will include to be 30 or more than 30 uh, who knows sometimes the prophet may mention a number it might be you know 10 or 20 or 30 and sometimes it means specifically that number and sometimes you mention it just like as a round figure and it may be that there are more. But there were, for instance, in the time of the Prophet himself, there was the, there was Musaylam al-Kadhab, the one who was from Yamama. <coughs> and uh, he was the famous one who, who, who came and then he went back to his land and his people accepted Islam and when he went back to his land, he claimed that he has half of the world and Quraysh has other half, another Muhammad. <coughs> and that, and so the Prophet, uh, you know, called him the Kadab, the, uh, the great liar. And many of the people that followed him, they knew that Musaylama was a, a liar. They knew he was a liar. But they were pleased to have a liar from their own tribe rather than having a truthful person from the other tribe. And this is the reality <coughs> that we have to always remember Many people know the truth, but they do not want to accept the truth in their actions. They do not want to leave the vested interests that they have 
uh, which if they follow the truth then they'll have to give up those vested interests some people have even said that yeah your Muhammad is true and your religion is good but that means I have to leave you know my girlfriend and my liquor and I have to leave, you know change my job because it's haram this kind of stuff and people they actually sometimes come to the point where they know things are true but they <coughs> have a hard time leaving their their way of life <coughs> another person was uh, Aswad al-Anasi at the time of the Prophet he was from Yemen and he claimed to be excuse me it's not coming through Okay. He <coughs> That's right. One of the other uh, Okay. Yeah, bismillah, yeah. One of uh, I had just the brother had asked me about the number of the people who had claimed to be prophets in Islam are do they fulfill that they are a certain number? <coughs> And actually, it's still open. There's going to be many. The Prophet just mentioned that there will be many. And there were, at the time of his life itself, there were five. There, were, uh, there was uh, Musaylim al-Kadhab, I said, who was from Yamama. And then there was Aswad al-Anasi, who was from Yemen. And uh, Fayruz al-Daylami was able to uh, actually do a trick on him and pretend to be part of his friends and then get close to him and then at night to, 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 to slaughter him and actually... Uh, and then there was also uh, Sijah al-Asadi, a woman who claimed to be uh, a prophetess. And she actually married Musaylim al-Kadhab. And they have many stories that when you read those stories, you'll actually laugh when you read those stories, but we won't get into those details. And then there's also, uh, because, because it was so foolish, some of the things they said were so outlandish, that even the people around them, they knew that these people are just, you know, playing games and, 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 and they're outlandishly uh, fools. But nevertheless, as I said, the tribalism was so uh, intense that they followed the people from their own tribe against the truth that came to them. Then there was also Tulayha al-Asadi. And he is the one who, <coughs> who actually, although he, be, he claimed to be a prophet and he fought against uh, the, the companions of the prophet after the prophet's death, death he eventually he turned back to Islam and became a, a an upright Muslim and he actually had a a role to play in the Futuhat, in the conquests of the Romans and the and the Persians and so he had a, a good ending. Which shows that someone could do something the worst crime in the world and then he can come back to the truth. Uh, there's no worse crime than associating Allah uh, partners with Allah in worship in saying that Jesus is the son of God because God does not have any sons nor daughters but so if anyone can do the form of shirk <coughs> then to claim to be a prophet and to have uh, a certain kind of <coughs> excuse me certain kind of revelation uh, is also another form of sin then at the time after the prophet in the time of the tabi'een of the followers of the prophet there was another man called Mukhtar uh, ibn uh, Abi Ubaid al-Thaqafi the brothers who were in the morning they I spoke briefly about him and he is the man who who, uh, who the prophet mentioned actually in a hadith although he was a generation before him he mentioned that in the tribe of Thaqif there will be a liar and there will be a tyrant and the liar was this Mukhtar ibn Abi Ubaid al-Thaqafi and the tyrant was Yusuf ibn Hujaj al-Thaqafi and this man has many many stories <coughs> and it's, it's interesting he claimed what I mentioned in my speech that there will be a man who will claim to be of me and my family, but he is not of me and my family. Some ulama mentioned that the reference is to uh, <coughs> Mukhtar, because he claimed to seek justice for, the, uh, for those that murdered 
Hussein. And so his first action was to go and take the people who had murdered Hussein and to start killing them one by one by one and, 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 and collecting uh, an army to do that until finally he took over all of Kufa. And slowly, eventually, he started to claim that he has uh, the, the wahi or he has <coughs> revelation coming to him. And when it reached the, the, the Ibn Umar that Mukhtar is claiming to, to, be, to have, have revelation, he said, it's true. But he's having, there are two kinds of revelation. There's a revelation from Allah and there's a revelation from the shaitan. And he's having the revelation of the shaitan. And similar other stories. Then down through history, of course, at the time of Bani Umayyah and Bani Abbas, there are others who claimed to have, uh, to become prophets. Of course, in our era too, there's a man in Nigeria whose name is Matisi, uh, Abdullah Matisi. If there are any brothers from Nigeria, they know that he, this man had created a great fitna. And one time in Nigeria, in the 70s, people fought in one of the northern towns of Nigeria and thousands died because he was claiming he had a bunch of followers and he was claiming to be a prophet. And here, I, mean, I think everyone knows about uh, <coughs> the, uh, the Baha'i faith and the Babiya faith where that man claimed, not only did he claim to be a prophet, but he actually claimed the you know, Godhead in, in, in Godlike qualities. The other famous example of nowadays is, uh, <coughs> is uh, Ahmed Qadian, uh, the, yeah, the, the leader of the, uh, of, uh, of the Qadianis. And not only, he's also a man, he claimed first to, you know, he did a series of claims. First he claimed to be a great leader, then he claimed to be Jesus, uh, excuse me, to be Mahdi, and then he claimed to be Jesus, and then he claimed, and, he, and then he claimed to be a prophet. And actually, there are sayings that he even claimed at the end of his days that he was had some kind of uh, of of, of uh, Godhead and deity. And also, the other famous example nowadays here in America even is uh, Elijah Muhammad, and uh, who he claimed to be a prophet, and then he also claimed that Farag Muhammad is God incarnate similar to uh, a, a, the Christian belief that Jesus is, is God incarnate. So, there are many people. I mean, right now I've mentioned maybe five, uh, maybe seven or eight. And if you go through history, I mean, I remember that there was a man who claimed at the time of Abdul Malik, uh, the Umuwi uh, 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 ruler, and he took him and he, uh, he sent him to the gallows or he... Uh, he killed him for that claim. And it's interesting to note that anyone who claimed to be a prophet, they all met death. Almost all of them meant, uh, met a violent death. And this is the reality that if someone claims godhood or someone claims prophethood, then this is such a great sin that it, 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 it's, it's something that, uh, that it's, it's a, it is the greatest sin. So they all, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes his anger upon them by, from the hands of the Muslims or through you know, some other source and they meet a violent and ugly death. Also, I guess I should mention the leader of the five percenters. He also is a famous man here in, in America who uh, claimed, uh, he actually claimed godhood, but that's a similar kind of thing, similar to some of the Christians who claim that we are all the children of God in the sense they, so they all have a similar kind of uh, strain going through them. Uh, if there's any other question, then I'll ask it to follow up here. What's the reality like in this time we don't have a Khalifa and we understand the Hadith where if we have three we're supposed to appoint a mirror but uh, specifically I'm curious about if there's a specific Jamaah which they appoint an Amir and I was wondering if it's allowed for him to be an Amir in all of your affairs I mean regarding the for disregarding the other details of that Jamaah but for example if someone is out in that uh, 
under the authority of that emir, is it allowed for him to to leave that? You know? Okay. Uh, <coughs> actually, you have a few questions, so I'll try to pull them apart one by one. The first thing is that, of course, as I alluded to, and I didn't want to get into it, but our religion is built upon a chain of command, uh, which is... Huh? Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. The question is about uh, the fact that we should have an emir and we should have a khalifa. And there are groups that sometimes they appoint an emir among themselves and then you, the people who have, uh, have done some kind of allegiance to him, they uh, are supposed to obey him. And how, what are the perimeters of their obedience of that, of that man? Is it in a general sense or a more absolute sense? I think this is some of the ideas that you're getting to paraphrasing. <coughs> so I said this is a bunch of questions actually. The first question is that generally I, sh- I should say, and I had mentioned that and in, in, in alluded to it before, that our religion is very, very clear that there's a chain of command that we have. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that oh you who believe obey Allah and obey the Prophet and obey those who are in command among you and if you differ in anything then refer it back to Allah and His Messenger if you are believers in Allah and the last day that verily is the best uh, interpretation and that is the best affair or as Allah has said. So, we have a chain, it's very clear. <coughs> and as it is mentioned, the obedience to the leader, any leader, who he may be, it's all conditional upon his obedience to Allah and his messenger. There's a famous story where the Prophet sent a group of people out, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, to do an errand in the form of attacking a certain group or scouting out in the, in the jihad, in the, in, the, uh, in, in the warfare in the way of Allah. And this man was uh, from the Ansar. And he told the people to obey him. So when they went out, somehow the group of people that were uh, following him, they got him angry. And so he got furious. So he took a bunch of... He he told them to all collect wood. So they all went out and collected wood. And they they said, okay, uh, build a pile and light that wood. So they made a big fire. And so he said, didn't the prophet order you to obey me? And they all said, yes. So he said, jump in the fire. And so they all looked at each other. And they all said, wait a second. We only followed the prophet in order to escape from the fire. We don't want to jump in the fire. And so they just sort of like were standing around wondering what the, what's going to happen. And then finally the fire started to become smaller and the person's anger subsided. And then they went back to the Prophet and they asked the Prophet, Oh Prophet Allah, this is what happened such and such and such and such. So the Prophet said, if they had obeyed him, they would have never come out of the fire. If they had obeyed him and jumped into the fire, they would never would have come out of the fire. Verily, the obedience of any uh, 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 the obedience of a created thing or person is conditional on the, his obedience to Allah. So this makes the idea that any leader, if it is a father or a mother or an amir in any sense, that it, the obedience to him is only if he enjoins that which Allah has enjoined in the book or, or in the uh, or, or the prophet, or it is in one of those mundane kind of things which help for the success of the group. Like for instance, if you're in a group, and as, I me- as you mentioned, the, the, the tradition which says that if there are three people, uh, 
I mean, if, if one person is traveling, he is like a shaitan. And if there's two people traveling, he's like two shaitans. And if there's three people, then they are a group of travelers in, in, in Islam. So they're ordered to travel as a group. And if three people travel together, they have to make one of them as their amir, as their leader. This is the order of the, of, of, of the Prophet. So what is that for? Because if they go out and there's no Amir, then they may have differences of opinion and they would not uh, f- complete their objective because of the differences among them. But if they have one person who is the leader, then he will order them to do this. Well, let's go now. Let's pick up our trash here. Let's, let's make this and let's make that. And so it will become an organized affair. This is also the reality in Jihad. Also the reality in... in uh, in, in Hajj or any other affair. And this is the training that we have also. And as we also know, there's a chain that the husband is supposed to obey Allah and is supposed to obey his Amir, his leader, and the wife is supposed to obey her husband, as there are many, many uh, traditions that mention this, uh, this idea. And all the children are supposed to, are supposed to obey their mother, and, and even greater, and, and so on and so forth. So there's a chain of command which is very clear. And this creates a society which has obedience and uh, obeying the, the commands which are good that is very, very strong. Different from the societies that we live in where people always want to do what they want and they don't want to obey anybody and they have their own ideas of how to do things. <coughs> the idea of having a khalifa and the fact that we do not have a khalifa, this is another issue. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that, وسلم, that, th- that I was with you and there is the Khalafa, there is the, uh, the, there, the Prophet was with you for as long as he was, and after that there will be a time where there will be, and there will be Khalafa Nabuwa, and, and that will be for a certain period of time, and then that will be lifted. And then there will be a Khalafa Murkan Aadam which is a, 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 like a traditional kingdomship. And then there will be Mulkan Jibriya, which is like a tyrannical kingship. And then after that, there will be Khalafat al-Nabuwa. And this is the sequence that the Prophet has mentioned that, they, that will happen in our, uh, in our Ummah. And when we look at that, that this is the reality, that there was the Khalafat al-Rashidin, Khulafat al-Rashidin, which was Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali and Hassan, actually, and Hassan, for he was the Khalifa for a short period of time, and then he gave up the, 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 his legitimate right to Muawiyah. And so Muawiyah became a legitimate king, but as he used to say, that I am the, the last of the Khulafa and the first of the Maluk. And he also realized that, that, that because he passed his, uh, the authority on to his son and forced the people to make bay'ah to his son, and he did it for some reasons which may have been legitimate for him because he said that he thought that people were not going to obey someone other than his tribe or from him and so on and so forth. The people of Ahl sham since he had been an Amir at the time of Omar for, and the time afterwards for 20 years and then after he became the king and, uh, and the Khalifa of the Muslims, he was also for 20 years. For 40 years he was the Khalifa and he was very honest and, uh, and just and so on and so forth. So he thought that if it left his family and left his tribe and such and such, it would cause dissension. So this is some of the reasons why you can see why he did what he did, because the times had changed. The only point is, is that that started the sequences which happened at the time of Bani Umayyah and Bani Abbas and so on and so forth and the various kingdomships that came down. Eventually, they became more and more tyrannical until we have the, 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 uh, the, the, the last one the, the, of the Khulafa of the Uthmaniyin and then that was finally in a, uh, 
disrupted and then we have other kings and governments some of them military governments some of them in a truly very very tyrannical uh, non-Islamic governments the fact that we have to go back and have a Khalifa no one denies that the fact and how do we do it that is also a question there is the idea that there can be Imara which means that someone who if someone is in a land and he is a Muslim and the people around him are Muslim then of course as I said because they're ordered if there's three people we make one of themselves Amir and then what do you do if you become the Amir and you have the people who are Ma'mur the ones who are obeying that whenever a judgment comes upon you or whenever there is a conflict or uh, you know, anything to be judged upon what do you judge according to? you judge according to the Quran and Sunnah if you're attacked then you help each other and you, and you defend yourself against attacking and so on and so forth so this Imara this, the imara that, that, that happens, then they have, in a sense, that he's not claiming that he's the khalifa over the entire world, because he only has jurisdiction over the area of the group of people that are following him, and the land that they actually own or control under their feet. You know, But nevertheless, that imara uh, has a certain amount of legitimacy, as we can see, because of, w- of what the Prophet had ordered. It's not the khalifa, and, the, and there should be a khalifa over all of the Muslims, and all of the Muslims are actually, uh, uh, they are sinful for not appointing one person to be the, uh, the, 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 the Amir of all the Muslims. So all the political leaders that we have now, whether they are Muslims or non-Muslims, and that can be a debatable point, because a lot of them are doing certain acts which are showing them to be either uh, hypocrites or to be those who are uh, non-Muslims, or if you say they are, they are good Muslims, they are they're, they're tyrannical Muslims, or whatever they are doing. But nevertheless, all of the Muslims should try to appoint a, uh, have or put into place a movement which will uh, create uh, the Khalaf al and we have the glad tidings from the Prophet mm-hmm. that eventually there will be this government if it will come at the time of the Mahdi in the time of the of the uh, descent of Jesus alayhi salam Isa then at least we know that at that time it will happen will it happen previous to that I think I mentioned a little while ago uh, in the hadith that there will be that eventually there will be a series of tribulations and the last tribulation the Prophet said was that then the, the Muslims will, will migrate in a sense or to two different camps. A camp or a tent that has belief without any hypocrisy in it and a camp that has hypocrisy and not any belief in it. So it didn't say kufr, but it said hypocrisy. In other words, they have the outward appearance of being Muslims, but actually their, their actions will, will, will speak that they are doing, that they are actually hypocrisy. And this is the reality of people who are Muslims, and yet they are doing forms of shirk. They may have big huge beards and wear Islamic clothes and maybe even making five salats and making and paying zakat and doing psalm, but because they are doing forms of shirk, then they actually are speaking iman and, uh, and faith and not acting faith. Uh, this is some of the answers. Uh, I, don't, I didn't fulfill all of the answers, so maybe you can restate one of the answers and I can give it more specific. I'm sorry, is there a connection between like, the Khalifa and the Emirship and the scope of that Emirship? Because I was under the impression that, for example, that Emir, when you're traveling, is pretty limited. In other words, he, he might not have the right to go legislate all over all your 
Of course not. Uh, of course not. It's only, it's like, it, it is, as you say, it's a limited jurisdiction for the actions that he's appointed for. Just like if you had uh, a person and he's, one man is the janitor and one man is the, is the head of the, uh, of, you know, of, the, of the junior high school and one is the head of the college and one is head of the medical department and so on and so forth. Each one is, in a sense, an emir of that, that which he has jurisdiction over. That's mentioned in the hadith that, كُلُكُمْ رَاعٍ وَكُلُكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَتَهِ uh, and so, which, which continues to say that you all are like a shepherd or like a, a leader of his flock. And each one is responsible for his flock. The leader of all the Muslims is responsible for all the Muslims or the general Amir, Amir al-Am is responsible for them. And a man is responsible for his family. And a wife is responsible for his husband's children. And the children, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, and a slave is responsible for the uh, property of his master. And this is the hadith. It says that this is, you know, this, the, the chain is very clear. There's a chain of leadership and a chain of command and obedience, which is very clear. So, of course, it only means for the jurisdiction of, of, of a certain thing. We can realize that uh, the political realities that the Ummah happened is that actually at, during the Abbasid Khalafat certain groups broke away I mean there was Andalus and Andalus was the, the remnants of the Umayyads who had fled to Andalus, Spain and they had the great civilization of Spain now no one says that Spain that they were all illegitimate 100% because as long as they were ruling by Islam ruling by the precepts of Islam and worshipping Allah and not uh, performing acts which make them go outside the fold of Islam, then they are legitimate Muslims and their regime has that amount of legitimacy. They're not of the status of being Khulafa al-Rashidin, but they're of the status of having a muluk, either a mulk al-Ad or a mulk al-Jibriya, either a, a, a kingdom which is a traditional hierarchy and, and uh, kind of, uh, of kingdomship, or a tyrannical uh, 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 government. <coughs> and, but we could say in the Abbasid similarly had this similar kind of system. The Fatimis, for instance, many of them considered them illegitimate. Why? Because they made false claims to be from, uh, from, the, uh, from the daughter of the Prophet Fatimi. And because they had certain belief system which was extremist of the Shias, they hid those beliefs, but eventually they became Aghakhanis and they became Buhra. I mean, the, 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 the chain of Imamit uh, travels from uh, Aghakhan nowadays all the way back down to the Fatimi and so on and forth. So the beliefs of the Fatimis was the uh, was the was was the, was the seed of that original thing. And Al Khan, of course, if you know anything about Al Khanism, that he claims to be God in uh, God on this earth, like there's a God in the sky and there's a God of the earth, and so on and so forth. And the Buhra, uh, you know, also have similar uh, extremist kind of claims, such that you know, all of the ulama have claimed them to be outside the fold of Islam. So, as I said, you know, some group might be considered to be illegitimate and some legitimate. But here we had a claim of, we had two different governments, both having a certain amount of legitimacy. And then other groups started to splinter off them and splinter off them until we know that this is the, 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 the history of, uh, of the Muslims. The reality now is always that the, the last uh, Khalifat, the Uthmanis, 
was dissolved by Ataturk and, and so on and so forth, and then it, the people broke up into the, the, the nation states, and we had the reality of the conquest of most of the Muslims by the Western powers, and then we had the growth of modern secular uh, uh, states. A secular state is the one that refuses to acknowledge that Allah has ultimate authority in the legislative branch, and it allows that that the religion should be separated from the from the forms and the manners and the institutions of government, except for little tiny uh, special places like in their in uh, personal uh, law, like marriage and divorce and similar and so forth. So of course, these all these regimes that have any secular agenda are totally uh, illegitimate. So now, I mean, as you know, I mean, all of the movements who who claim to have an Islamic agenda, they all claim one thing that we have to have a legitimate. Uh, leadership, and that leadership, as I said, my, my talk tonight was the idea that if any of these groups claim to want to uh, to do uh, islah or to do rectification, they have to have these three qualifications. And this this actually, when you think about it, these three qualifications, if they do not have these three qualifi- qualifications, that nullifies and abrogates and destroys their claim. I mean, if they're claiming that, uh, that they want to bring... Uh, rectification to the ummah and bring the khalafat and yet you see that they are performing certain certain forms of shirk which are proven by the book of Allah and the, and the prophets traditions that this is a form of shirk and you are or they follow some of their leaders in degradation to the following of the prophet and they are and it's proven that they are doing that even if it is the idea of keeping the line straight and putting the feet together because there's clear hadith that, that mentioned that you should uh, keep your line straight and keep your feet together and not allow the shaitan to come in between you or similar and so forth. If, if the imams in the previous times uh, were, uh, did not realize that certain hadith for some, some certain reason, but if it, that piece of knowledge comes to us, then we're supposed to put that in practice. Or similarly, if they have made their issues into a sectarian kind of issue and they're excluding certain groups of the Muslims for some reason, because as long as a person has the claim and the outward appearance that he's obeying, uh, trying to worship Allah and trying to <coughs> follow the Prophet, then he's still our brother, no matter if what kind of differences we have, we should at least be in the engaging of working to try to bring them together as one, uh, one group of Muslims against our enemies who are the disbelievers like the Jews and the Christians and the Hindus and the Buddhists and the secularists and the communists and so on and so forth. Inshallah. Excuse me. Tafadol yeah, okay. Well, excuse me, I, I, I shouldn't... Uh, <coughs> one, the, the first uh, question that came to me is, would you list some forms of shirk? <coughs> associating Allah, associating partners with Allah, takes many different forms. <coughs> one form can be that you actually worship Allah, and that you worship other than Allah. Actually, there's very few people that only worship other than Allah. That, that you, you rarely find that. Because what you mostly find is that people, they worship Allah sometimes, and then they worship other than Allah other times. As it says, when they ride in their ships, then they call out to Allah in, a, in sincerity. And when they get back into the land, then they start uh, worshiping other than Allah. So this is the reality that when people get into a, a, a critical situation, a car accident or they get, and they're scared, and they say, oh God, oh God, oh God, and they're scared, oh God, save me. And this is, at this point, they're worshipping Allah, with their supplication. And that, but then when they get into their normal lifestyle, then they go out and they worship other than Allah. Actually, 
This can take the form of worshiping a, uh, a, uh, an idol, of course, which is the most obvious form. And it can also be the idea of worshiping something material. As the Hadith says, Ta'as abd dinar ta'as abd dirham ta'as abd khamis abd khamila which is that may the person be cursed or may he be deficient the person who worships money in the form of a dinar or worships the money in the form of a dirham or worships clothes and in a sense that means that they have that these clothes or this money has become so important that they do not care what is halal and haram they do not care what is the what is more important? They would give up uh, the the worship of Allah, or and, and fulfilling their requirements of the religion, just to take and, and to acquire money or acquire beautiful clothes. And of course, beautiful clothes can, in a sense, we can extend this idea to beautiful houses and beautiful cars and beautiful this and that. <coughs> so this also can become a form of shirk. Also, when someone associates other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and gives the traits of Allah to some human form, like the Christians who say that Jesus is the Son of God, so they've given the, the deity to Jesus. Or they, uh, or they give human traits to God in the opposite way. They say that God has a certain kind of traits which make him other than the reality that he is. If they deny his traits... And they say that no, he does not have some of the traits that he has, that he says he has. They totally deny it outright. That also can be a form of shirk, a shirk in his uh, in his traits of his uh, his characteristics and his traits. <coughs> There's also a form of shirk. I'll mention it because I haven't seen the brother before. I mentioned to some other brothers <coughs> that any form of worship, if you do that worship to other than Allah then that worship becomes a, a form of shirk. For instance, one of the things that we worship Allah with, by making salat. So if you made salat to someone other than Allah, then that of course would be a form of shirk. And that is something that, it's not that it doesn't happen, it does happen. Even in the Muslim world, there are people that go to certain of uh, the saints, whether they be alive or dead, and they actually make a prayer to that person, bowing and prostrating. Or similarly, they make the supplication. If you make a supplication to anyone other than Allah, then that is a form of worship. If you do it to someone other than Allah, then it becomes a form of shirk. Uh, Also, uh, the... uh, I've mentioned this before, but I might as well mention it in this context for the for the benefit of the sister that there is a tradition where the uh, companion of the prophet, who eventually became the companion of the prophet, came to the prophet and said, uh, and he was reading the verse which says that they have taken their their scholars and their their their, their worshippers, or the, you know the high the, the monks among them, to be lords other than God and Jesus, the son of, of Mary. And they have been ordered only to worship Allah <coughs> and, not to have any, and not to ascribe any partners with God. And when he heard him read, uh, reading this verse, he said, he used to be a Christian. He was a Christian at that time. And he said, O Prophet, uh, uh, Prophet uh, we do not tell Allah, Sallam, we do not take them uh, as lords. We do not take them to be the, the lords. And so the Prophet said to him, Isn't it not true that they legislate and they make that which is halal, uh, lawful to be unlawful, and they make that which is unlawful to be uh, lawful, and, and, and then you follow them in that. And so he said, yes, we do do that. And so that is your worship of them. In other words, the fact that they follow him 
there is a form of worship. The fact that they give them that right to legislate laws, that is making them into lords. Similarly, like the person who is calling the saint in the grave, and he says for him, he's thinking, he's thinking that that person has the quality to heal him, for instance, or give him a job, or give him a lot of money. And so he asks him, oh please, I'm very, very sick, and my mother's very, very sick. Oh saint, by your, your, your sainthood or something like this, heal us. So he's giving the traits, the trait of Allah's lordship and ultimate authority, he's giving it to that person. So he's making him into a lord. By his calling of him, that is the form of shirk. So it actually is a shirk in uluhiyah, or the, or, the, or the deityship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's also a shirk in the rububiyyah, in the lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, <coughs> indeed, there are many, many uh, you know, forms uh, of shirk, and there's many uh, types of shirk. To follow someone who is a scholar in, the, uh, in his mistakes, when he knows it's a mistake, or you know it's a mistake, that has an element of shirk right in it also. Just like if you were to, uh, to be a hypocrite in the sense that you made salat not for the, the countenance of Allah and to please Allah, but to be seen by man, that is called a shirk al-askar, or the lesser form of shirk. Uh, so anyone <coughs> who's doing something of uh, and making a form of worship, and he's also wanting to get the praises of mankind and the praises of the people along with his form of that, wor- of, of that worship, then that is also a form of shirk. But it's not the kind of form of shirk which is, you could say that he has now become uh, outside the fold of Islam and we have to take him and we have to uh, you know, execute him because of that. But it is a form of shirk as the Prophet has mentioned it as a form of shirk. And as I had mentioned in the talk that there are many different kinds of forms of shirk. And in the one small talk, we can't just, you know, delineate and talk about all of them. But it's something that, just like someone learns how to make the, 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 the wudu, and he teaches his children how to make the wudu, then it's important for us to learn the various forms of shirk which are mentioned in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah, and, by, and, and, and specified and explained by the ulama, and to teach ourselves. Because we should be more scared about the shirk than about many of the other forms of disobedience. I don't want to time and of course it's going to get too short no no I'll take one from you and then go back um, there's I've heard many different views on the, uh, on the on the same question that you've probably heard many times um, uh, the, the food that we eat over here in America mm-hmm. and the reason why I ask you is because you, you are coming from America uh, whether the meat products that we eat if that is permissible for us. Okay, this issue is based upon uh, the issue of when we slaughter meat, what makes it halal? There is the verses in the Quran and the sayings of the Prophet that says that when you slice the neck, I mean, I'm paraphrasing this quickly in English, when you slice the neck which cuts the jugular vein and the uh, and the esophagus, the windpipe, and I mean, it, 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 it exposes the blood. The blood flows from the neck, in other words, ma'anharadam, which lets the blood flow out. And that you name Allah's name, then eat of that meat. And some of the of the ulama, 
are of the opinion that it is these are the two conditions to make meat halal. You have to cut the neck such that the blood flows out, and you have to mention the name of Allah. If the name of Allah is not mentioned, then it is not halal. Many of the ulama have taken this position. And they, they, they mention many of the verses that are mentioned in this, where Allah says that, you know, that when you slaughter, to mention the name of Allah. It's mentioned in many places in the Quran. Actually, seven places. And one of the places is, وَمَا لَكُمْ لَا تَعْقُلُ مِمَّا يُذْكُرُ اسْمَالَ عَلَيْهِ Another one is where he says, وَلَا تَعْقُلُ مِمَّا لَمْ يُذْكُرُ اسْمَالَ عَلَيْهِ فَإِنَّهُ لَفِسْكٌ وَإِنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ What's the uh, Which means that verily, and why is it that you, uh, and do not eat of the food which has not had the name of Allah mentioned upon it. Because verily it is fisk, in other words, it is a, a form of disobedience, and verily the shayateen uh, and the and the uh, and the, the shayateen they seek to argue with you in your religion, and if you obey them, you will become of the mushrikeen. <coughs> this is related that the mushrikeen used to come to the prophet at the time of Mecca. Actually, this is Surah An'am, and he used to mention to them that how come you people. That which you slaughter in the name of God, you eat. But that which Allah kills, you don't eat. In other words, the dead meat, the carrion meat. Because it was not allowed for them to eat the, the dead meat. And the, the Arabs, they used to eat dead meat. So they used to like joke with them and, and, and try to say that, you know, and try to, to twist their, their, uh, some of their religion. And so this verse was related in this, uh, in this, uh, in this uh, form. So these are, and there's many other verses which these ulama who claim that there are two conditions for meat being halal, that it is that the, the the neck is cut such that all the, the blood flows out in a, in a pure flow, such the blood which is that which creates the germs in the blood of course, in the meat of course that flows out, and that the name of Allah is mentioned. Other ulama say that if some that even if the person forgot to say as he was slaughtering, the food would not be halal. But the other one says, no, he meant to make, he meant to mention Allah, and Allah SWT does not, uh, you know, take us to account for those things which we, which we forget, but we intend to do, but we forget. So, even if he forgot in this, in this animal, it goes along with all those other animals that he did. Let's say he slaughtered 20 animals, and one of them he forgot to mention as he was doing it in the, in the heat of the work. But no, it's all halal. Some ulama says that the mentioning of Allah is not uh, a condition. And they, they use as evidence that there was the group of people that came and they came and they asked the Prophet and they said that sometimes people come to us and they are new, uh, they are from the Badia, they are from the, the Bedouin and they come to us with meat and we do not know whether it, they have mentioned the name of Allah upon it or not. And they are new Muslims. They are Hadith Ahad islam So, can we eat of this? So, they said, uh, the Prophet said, you mention the name of Allah and eat. So some of the ulama, they, they, they take this as a reference which says that the mentioning of Allah is not a condition because if it was a condition, the Prophet would have uh, not allowed them to eat that meat because of the, uh, of the uncertainty. Whereas other ulama say, no, no, you have misunderstood the, the intention of this hadith. The intention of the hadith is that the, the, the fact that we have to slaughter in the name of God is so well known 
that you have a good uh, understanding about your brother Muslim. You don't suspect him unnecessarily. And so you just, you, you just assume that yes, they have slaughtered in the name of God. And just to create a good feeling in your heart and, and to make it feel better for you, you mention the name of God before you eat. Uh, this is important to mention in relation to the food of the people of the book. Now we get to the idea of how about the meat that the Christians and the Jews uh, slaughter. Can we eat that? So of course the Jews are not such a problem because they have very strict rules where they mention the name of God and they slaughter in a very specific manner. As a matter of fact, it's more difficult than the way we slaughter. They have, to, they have more stricter conditions. But let's say the Christians that are around here. Now the Christians, they don't mention the name of God and sometimes they slaughter cutting such that the blood feeds out. So those ulama who would say that, uh, that the naming of Allah is a condition, then the people, even though there is the verse in the Qur'an which says that it is allowed for you to eat the, the food of the people of the book in Surah Al-Ma'idah, this, uh, of course it doesn't mean all the, all the meat of the people of the book because we don't eat the khanzir, we don't eat their dead meat, uh, for instance. So does it include that they have to mention the name of God? Many of the ulama say that yes, it does include that. That if they do not mention the name of God, then their then their then their then their uh, then their meat is is not uh, is not considered halal. Whereas the ulama that says that the naming is the naming of Allah is not a condition, anyways, then they say that if they just slaughter in a in a certain manner, then it is allowable to, to eat. Personally, I follow the point that says that these two conditions are necessary for the making of the of of, of the meat halal. And I think that this is the most correct position because, <coughs> as we know, this was a this was a this was something that the Muslims did in Mecca. And as it says, there's a hadith that says, if you follow our qibla and if you make salat to the direction of, of uh, if you make salat like we make salat, excuse me, and you follow our qibla and you eat our dhabiha, what we've slaughtered, then you're a Muslim. Then you're a Muslim. Then you're a Muslim. And the fact that this was done. Even it's one of the called the sha'ir of, of Islam. It's one of the of, of the major things which distinguish the Muslims from the non-Muslims. Just like the fact that we make prayer, just like the fact that we make prayer towards Mecca and not towards anywhere else. The fact that we slaughter in the name of God, this is also the thing that distinguishes the Muslims. Also, does it make sense that you would not name the name of a God intentionally, and then it would still be halal, still be halal, when Allah SWT was the one that created it? And the mentioning of Allah is mentioned in many verses of the Quran and many of the hadith, the hadith of Eid ibn Hatim, who used to uh, like to hunt a lot. And so the Prophet said, whatever you spill the blood with, then and, and you and you mention the name of God, then it's all right. When he said, when you hunt, when you hunt, you throw your, you, you shoot your arrow, mentioning the name of God. And if it happens that you send your dog, you and you send your dog, and you mention the name of, of of Allah when you send your dog. And if it happens that you find that there are two dogs. With the animal that you have, uh, that you have, uh, that they caught, the, and, and then you don't eat of that because you don't know which uh, which dog has killed it. Maybe it was the dog which you didn't name the name of Allah upon, and so on and so forth. As I say, there's many proofs to prove that this is the correct opinion of the different opinions of the ulama. And I know this probably goes against many of the fatwas of certain uh, people here in America, but uh, of course everyone has. As I said, any issue, we all return it back to the book and to the Sunnah of the Prophet. We look at the issues and the uh, 
and the proofs which they prove. And, and to, to me, it appears that the proof that they prove to say that the naming of Allah is not a conditional to making it halal and it's just a sunnah, it seems to be a weak and an uh, unreliable uh, argument that they use. <coughs> the other thing, uh, yeah, go ahead. just to dwell on that, mm-hmm. what they, what people, uh, they, they claim that the slaughterhouses and the, the way that they slaughter is actually a business. It's not a religious institution, which is the reason why you shouldn't eat the meat. Well, that, that's the point that, <coughs> that's really not, that's not the point. I mean, the point is, do they mention the name of God or not? Uh, if, uh, no matter, if, even if it was a business, but the business was to mention the name of God, <laughs> I mean, for instance, uh, uh, the kosher meat, which the Jews, they have slaughtered it properly in cutting their neck, and use cleanliness and materials, and they don't mix it with any other meat, which is of the non-kosher variety, which is the, of the Christians, you know, pig meat and, and unslaughtered meat, and, and also they name the mention the name of God upon it, then that is the is the meat. But those ulama say that it is allowed for Muslims to eat because it fulfills those two conditions. 